You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, and welcome back. This is Theology for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Kenny Ortiz, coming at you from the snowy and cold metropolis of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thank you so much for listening. So glad to have you. Uh, It is very snowy and very cold here in Minneapolis, but it is still beautiful in a weird wintry sort of way. So glad to be uh, living here in Minnesota and glad to be able to be engaged in the ministry that I am engaged in. This is episode 246. And in just a moment, I'm going to bring you an interview that I had a chance to do with pastor and author Jonathan Purnell. Uh, He is the primary teaching pastor at the church that I am now a part of here in Minneapolis and super stoked to bring this to you. I believe that by God's grace, the content in this interview is going to be very beneficial for you. Hey, before we get to the interview, just want to say a big thank you to... Uh, to everyone who has been loyal listeners and have been subscribed and have stuck with me, uh, even though I have not been nearly as consistent in producing content over the last few months, man, I am convinced that I've got the best and most loyal listeners in the world. And just so many of you are so encouraging to me and so supportive. I just want to say a big thank you. Uh, I mean, I mean that wholeheartedly. There's so many great loyal listeners of this podcast. And I just want to say a big thank you to all of you Uh, over the last few months. Uh, because of my recent move from Orlando to Minneapolis, uh, well, I guess it's not so recent anymore. It's been it's been like seven months now. Uh, it still feels recent, but um, because of my move, I've not been nearly as consistent in producing uh, podcast episodes and other bits of content nearly as frequently as I would like. Uh, but by God's grace, my hope over the next few weeks and months that I'll be able to kick that up quite a bit. Um, one of the things, again, uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, one of the things I got a chance to do when I moved to Minneapolis is is join a new local church. And as I was examining the landscape of churches in the Twin Cities region, there was one church that really stuck out to me uh, beyond any other, and it was kind of the first place I wanted to check out. Um, some of you know uh, a guy by the name of David Mathis. He was a previous podcast guest, someone I interviewed um, oh gosh, it's, I feel like it's been a year and a half, almost two years now since I actually interviewed David way back in episode 55, I believe it was, when we talked about his book, Habits of Grace, a fantastic book. Um, it was through that episode, that interview that I actually met David and got a chance to build a little bit of a friendship with him. And uh, many of you have, have told me that you've gotten a copy of David's book and how it's been impactful for you. Uh, well, David is one of the elders at Cities Church uh, that I am now a member of. And so when I first moved here, it was the first place I checked out because of uh, the friendship that I had built with with David. Um, David, obviously, is not the only elder of that church. Uh, there are multiple elders because we believe that a plurality of eldership is ideal. That's God's ideal design. And the primary teaching pastor and one of the elders is a guy by the name of Jonathan Purnell, the guy I'm, that I interviewed and going to bring that to you in just a moment here. Uh, Jonathan uh, wrote a book recently called uh, Never Settle for Normal. And basically, he takes some kind of timeless, transcendent biblical truths and great biblical doctrines, and he just articulates them in a way that's uh, slightly different. Um, He doesn't change them. He's not trying to be hip or cool. He's not doing it different just for the sake of being different. But, But he takes the approach that sometimes we know these great biblical truths, but 
sometimes we take them for granted or we don't appreciate them as much as we ought to appreciate them. And by sometimes, sometimes articulating timeless biblical truths slightly differently sometimes forces us to think about them differently, which may force us to engage with them in a way we haven't before. And ultimately it causes us to appreciate those doctrines in a greater fashion than we ever did before. And that is exactly what Jonathan has done in this book. And that's what you're going to hear from him in this, uh, in this interview. Uh, Really, really excited. Again, I think it's going to be a great uh, benefit to you. Uh, Jonathan is the primary teaching pastor at City's Church, and he's going to tell you quite a bit about himself in the interview, so I don't feel the need to give you lots of information about him right now. So without further ado, we'll get to my interview with pastor and author Jonathan Purnell. And we are on the line with Jonathan Parnell here in the great metropolis known as the Twin Cities. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. How are you feeling today? Kenny, thanks so much, man, for having me. Happy to be here. I uh, I have, I am super stoked because uh, uh, more than a year ago I had a chance to have David Mathis on, and uh, the the audience have heard me talk about David and and uh, and the friendship I've built with him. And so uh, Jonathan is also one of the elders at the church that I'm now a part of here in Minnesota, and absolutely love being a part of it. So just really really stoked to have you and have you invest in the audience. Uh, and so before we get into the meat uh, of conversation, would love to just uh, the audience to hear from you. You know who who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? And how did you end up doing where you where you're at today? Yeah, so I you know my my name's Jonathan. My wife is Melissa, and uh, we have seven kids. I live here in the middle of the Twin Cities, right close close to the river, right on the line between Minneapolis and St. Paul. And we've been here for about ten years. Uh, I grew up in um, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, and my wife did as well. We moved here for seminary about 10 years ago, and uh, I was part of uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church for six years. I was a, uh, an apprentice there in the seminary, and I also worked for DesiringGod.org for six years and and worked with uh, with David Mathis, who, who was my boss at DG, and my editor, and uh, such a good friend. And, uh, and then we planted Cities Church, sent out from Bethlehem Baptist, uh, the very beginning of 2015, and so we're uh, entering now in January, our fourth year as a church plant, and uh, and God has been so kind to us, so gracious to us. I'm the, I'm the lead pastor at Cities Church, and then we have uh, a team of, of seven pastors, and uh, yeah, we we are uh, we have 17 community groups throughout the cities, and our we meet on Sundays um, again, right kind of on the river. Uh, Formerly in, in Minneapolis, and we're moving to a new location uh, beginning next year over in St. Paul. So, um, yep, City's Church, and and uh, super thankful to be here. Love uh, love the local church. Love the Twin Cities. I'm uh, one of those guys who um, who fell in love with the cities. I, I didn't come here because the cities were great. I came here for um, for school, but then it wasn't long, and, and we, my wife and I, both just came to to love Minneapolis and St. Paul. And so, uh, from the south, every Usually, I mean, at least once or twice a week, people will will comment on my accent. It's not I've not lost it apparently, but uh, but we feel not, not we, at all, we, not so, at all. <laughs> but you know, it's not as bad as it used to be actually. But but we we feel Minnesotan at heart. We we love the Twin Cities. We love doing life and ministry here. We love raising our family here. So we we are super excited about um, God's grace to us in, in being here. 
uh, I can and I can't remember. You may uh, where in the South are you from again? Is is it South Carolina? You said. So I'm from North Carolina. So so Mathis Mathis is from South Carolina. He grew up outside of Spartanburg, and then I grew up outside of Raleigh in in North Carolina. So uh, Tar Heels or, or Duke? You know, I'm really an NC State fan. I'm a Wolfpack man. I, my wife is a is a UNC fan, and uh, you know, growing up like. I would usually pull for Duke because they always were the you know the, the team that would beat beat Carolina, uh, but yeah, at, at heart I'm a Wolfpack man, Wolfpack fan for sure. Well, nice. So I'm I'm sure that you know there's a few Wolfpack fans listening that are just super excited, or maybe there's none. I don't know. I hope so. Uh, it's football season for us, but yeah, I mean, good to pull for the underdog, you know. Good stuff, um, Jonathan. Am I right? You've got you've written five books. Is that correct? Well. Um, I have only written one book as a solo author, um, but then I have co-authored a book with David Mathis called How to Say Christian in Seminary. And then I've been uh, an editor or co-editor on a few different projects. I've also contributed to some books. So that's kind of a um, kind of a, I guess, tough question. I'd say I've really only written one book. Um, that's the most recent one. But then I, I did co-author one and co-edit one. And, and uh, so I'd say, more like one to three. Okay, all right. Because there, are, I know there are several projects you've worked on, but I wasn't sure to what extent uh, you've yeah, worked on. Them. Yeah. Uh, so your most, well, your I guess your I was going to say your most recent, but what you would call maybe your your only solo book is the most recent one, "Never Settle for Normal." Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So that's the book that just came out um, this past summer with Molten Loma, um, "Never Settle for Normal." The subtitle is "The Proven Path to Significance and Happiness," and so that's the book that. Uh, was a project that I worked on myself, and um, yeah, really excited about. Yeah, well, tell us about this. Um, what what problem does this book address or tackle, and and what led you to want to write this book? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think I think it may be good to even step back and just ask the that question of what what, what am I trying to do with this? Um, which um, you know, I, I wrote the book for a really broad audience, broader probably than most folks who listen to, uh, you know, your podcast or, or any really any Christian podcast at all, because I wrote it for folks who are really new to Christianity or maybe had, you know, been part of the church early on, but are kind of de church now and just had a lot of fogginess when it came to what is the Christian story. So what I, I try to do in this book is take um, uh, the gospel story. Um, um, and, and from a perspective of Christian hedonism, so try, trying to take, you know, Pi John Piper has had an amazing influence on me, and I feel like uh, really convicted that um, the way he explains, uh, you know, what it means for us to be happy in God, the purpose for the whole universe being the glory of God, and how that satisfies our souls like nothing else. I think that there is so much potential um for that to really reach people far from God. I think that's just an amazing, it's, it's news that is arresting and shocking that God wants us to be happy. In fact, God created us to be happy in himself. And, and so I wanted to, especially as a church planner, think to myself, you know, think how, how can I take this news of the gospel with this, you know, really this perspective, just dripping in this idea of being happy in God how can I explain this to someone who's really new to the Bible or, or, or new to church or new to Christianity? So that's what I try to do in this book. I try to basically, you can say in one sense, take, um, take, uh, you know, a desiring God, uh, you know, Piper's influence in, in his vision of God and, and really 
try to to pair that pare that down and explain it to someone who who had who never heard of any of those things. And so that, that's what I've done with the book, and it's it's called Never Settle for Normal, because um, uh, that's a, a pretty broad title. It was not the first title um, or the second, third, fourth. Uh, but basically, it, it was a you know working with my publisher, Multnomah, who was great. Um, they knew that the the goal for the book was to reach a broader audience, and so they really tried to go go hard after um, you know folks who are are new to Christianity, and those things. And so the title, "Never Settle for Normal," uh, is taken from really the intro and kind of the 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 paradigm for the book. In that, uh, we live in a world where what's considered uh, normal is an understanding of reality where God doesn't exist. And so it's like, you know, if we, if we, if we think about entertainment or everything about movies and things like that, that we are all the time, you know, watching and seeing and, and, and devouring, digesting and whatnot. It, it's, those are always sketches of reality where in most cases, God doesn't have a seat at the table um, in, in how we talk and how, how people, um, you know, typically uh, even current issues of our day, um, the normal understanding, the normal take of our world is a world where God isn't real. And and I I simply just want to encourage readers not to settle for that, not to settle for that lie about reality. In fact, I, I try to explain in the first chapter that, that any, you know, if if the Psalm say in Psalm 14 that the fool says in his heart that there is no God, then uh, a construal of reality which is the normal construal today that we're, if, if that construal doesn't have God in the picture, then it's, it's stupid. It's foolish. And so the new normal of our society and really Western of the Western world, I call it a stupid normal. Like it, it, it doesn't add up with uh, the truth of the Bible and just with reality, um, just the basics of what, what this world is and who God made it to be and what God made it to be. And so I don't want to settle for that. And the answer is let's just, hear the Christian story. So I try to, in the book, just kind of lay out um, just the pieces, the, the main pieces of redemption, redemptive history, creation, fall, restoration, and, and then new creation. And I just explain these as we all have, as humans, um, a desire to, to matter and to be happy. So we are fundamentally glory chasers and pleasure seekers. Everybody wants significance and everybody wants to be happy. And that's something that uh, you can see all up and down, man, all over the place. And so if that's if we have these desires, why do we have these desires? And then how does the gospel, how does the Christian story answer these desires in the book? And, uh, and yeah, again, um, yeah, it, it's a pretty simple book. I just walked through, you know, it's 11 chapters. I just walked through you know, just the basics of the Christian story. But, again, with that, uh, with that angle of, of – of joy and pleasure and, 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 uh, and being happy in God. You made a statement a moment ago that I think is really profound that I think it'd be really easy for people to miss if they're not really tuned in. And so can we go back a second and just kind of un unpack for me the statement you said, we are all glory chasers and pleasure seekers. Uh, wh what do you mean by that? Yeah, that that I this is one of my, my most favorite things to talk about because I think everyone knows I mean, universally that it's true. Everybody wants from their heart they they want to matter, 
and they want to be happy. So we all we all want significance and we all want joy. And and the reason why we want that is because we were made in the, in the image of God. God God made us um, to be like Him, to to have fellowship with Him, and therefore humans are a big deal, man. Like um, we are a, a we're we're amazing creatures. And so we have inherently because of, of who God is and because he made us, we, we have significance. We, we have a glory in ourselves because we reflect the glory of God. And in that glory, in the fellowship that God created us to have with him, there is pleasure and there is joy and there is happiness. And it's the happiness that the only, it's only that happiness that can satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. And so I, I, I want to, help people first, you know, identify, help them, you know, connect the dots. Yes, you want to matter. Yes, you want to be happy. But then, of course, show as we see in, you know, like the argument from desire, C.S. Lewis made popular. We have this desire for significance. We have this desire for pleasure. And yet nothing in this world can satisfy these desires. And so, therefore, the most plausible explanation is that we were made from the world. And that's where I think the gospel comes in, the Christian story comes in, and it answers these longings like nothing else can. Man, it's, what a great, great point. And by the way, I mean, that, that C.S. Lewis quote, I mean, obviously it's, it's relatively well known, um, but I think it's, again, profound. It's simple concept that really, I think, shouts to very much of what we all feel on the inside. I think everyone listening to this can resonate with the idea that yeah, we, we all want to feel significant. We all want glory to some extent. It varies from person to person, obviously. Um, we all do want to be happy. Uh, I, I think those are all concepts that I think shout to a lot of people and resonate with a lot of people. Uh, now, I, I do want to give you a thought that I've – this is not from me. I'm not pushing back on you, but I've, I've heard people out there within Christian circles kind of push back on some of these concepts. Uh, when, when, when Piper, as you alluded to earlier, says things like, you know, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. People push back on that, almost like this idea that it's wrong for humans to want to be happy. Uh, how do you respond to that? Or, or have you even ever heard that pushback? And if so, how have you responded? Yeah, right. No, I, I, for sure. You know, um, because uh, I think and I, I think there's a few different ways we can get it wrong. Like it's not it's not a happiness as in, you know, like a a generic sort of happiness or a glibness or, um, you know, a, a satisfaction in, in God's gifts or in things, you know, and all the bells and whistles and stuff like that, that this life can afford. It really is about being full, satisfied, content um, with the glory of God. And, and, you know, joy, what joy does is, is joy always magnifies the cause of joy. And, and I think, you know, when it comes to what, what is it that magnifies the glory of God? And this is where suffering is, is, you know, is so important in the Christian life is, you know, what magnifies the glory of God is our affections in God's glory above everything else. And so it's saying that, that only Jesus, only God's glory in Christ, in the gospel, that's really the only thing that can satisfy my soul. And, and it's, it's living that out, you know, it's living with that in that freedom. And um, so, no, it's not a, um, in fact, I mean, I think, I think you see it demonstrated most vividly in suffering. So it's not in the midst of health, wealth, and prosperity. It's when 
everything else in your life might be taken from you, but the most important thing can never be taken from you, and that is relationship with God in Christ. Man, it's, that's really it's such a great reminder that I can be fully satisfied in him. And, uh, you know, I, I remember, I remember um, having a conversation with a Buddhist man in the nation of Nepal. This is several years ago. And he's basically saying that the whole point of, 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 of humanity is to eradicate all desire. And I just remember thinking to myself, that's impossible. Like, we were created with desires. And if we try to, eradic if we try to eradicate them, you try to accomplish a goal that's simply impossible. Um, but, but on the flip side, you've got lots of people in our, in our society that are trying to satisfy their desires in sources that are ultimately going to lead to emptiness. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's also, I mean, just to, as Christians, we believe the Bible, the Bible has authority. And so to, to, we, we don't have the option to think that, you know, joy is a bad thing when scripture itself so clearly commands our joy, you know, and you see in the Psalms, for example, um, Psalm 34, 1, I'll, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Or um, Psalm 63, 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Um, I mean, so many. Psalm 71, 8, my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Um, so you, you see in Scripture that, man, when it comes to to joy, like the the normative thing that we see when it comes to praise is the human soul being happy in God. That is the praise of God. Amen, man. Amen. Um, now, I, and I know many people who listen to this podcast are going to be familiar with John Piper because I've, I've talked quite a bit. I've quoted from his stuff. Um, but, but for anyone not familiar with Piper and not familiar with some of the Christian hedonism ideas, I know you've already sort of alluded to it, uh, but give, give us a definition of what is Christian hedonism, or I guess maybe what is hedonism versus Christian hedonism, and how has Piper kind of promoted that ideals over the years? Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great question, man. I, you know, hedonism is uh, is a wicked it's it's wicked. Hedonism itself is that um, the the pursuit of pleasure is everything. So it's you know you deny yourself nothing, you go go for broke, no holds barred, whatever makes you happy. And Christian hedonism says. Um, no, it's not in anything goes pursuit of pleasure. It's that, yes, we all want to be happy, but that happiness is only found in God. God made us to be happy in him. And again, you see the relation, the connections here between, um, our delight in God and the praise of God. It is our delight in God, our joy in God that magnifies the worth of God. And again, Amen. I mean, the Psalms are the, are the place to go to, to see this so often, you know, um, commands like in Psalm 34, delight yourself in the Lord, um, or be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Or um, the prayer that's the I love the song of Moses in Psalm 90, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And so, you know, you, you see um, that clearly in, in scripture, um, joy is not a bad thing, in fact. We must have joy. It's just that we should have it in God. And, that's, and you see that so clearly in, in Psalm 4 when David says there, um, speaking about the wicked, he says to the Lord, You have put more joy in my heart than they when their grain and wine abound. And so it's uh, everybody wants joy, but God's got the real truest joy 
and that alone is what can satisfy the the passions and the longings of my heart. Amen. Amen, brother. I love it. Um, okay, so switching gears back to your book, uh, I would love to ask you a couple questions as I've, I've, I have not read it, um, but I have gotten a chance to read uh, quite a bit about it. And uh, I, I'm very curious. I see a variety of topics that you have covered in the book. I'm curious, what's your favorite chapter, your favorite topic that you cover? Man, I hope I was hoping you'd ask me that question because no one has asked me that yet. Um, really? Yeah, no, I, my my favorite is the center of the book, which is um, uh, the chapter on Jesus. It's basically the name. The, the chapter is just Jesus, and um, it's just me trying to give a very basic Christology, and I, I'm trying to explain who Jesus is in light of uh, Jesus as. Basically, as he presents himself in the Gospels, Jesus as the Messiah of Israel, Jesus as the Savior of the world, Jesus as the eternally loved Son of God, which we see so clearly in the Gospel of John. I just try to take the way Jesus has presented himself to us, and I just try to like walk through. This is who he is in uh, chapter 7. And uh, that, that's by far, man, I think. Oh, I should say by far. I mean, I, I like a few more. But that chapter is the chapter that I'm most excited about and the one that I come back to. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and really appreciate. And, um, it moves my heart because Jesus is real and, and what he says about us matters and uh, what a gift that he has given us the Bible, right. To, to proclaim who he is, um, to be a witness to himself. And so I, that's my favorite chapter, man. The one on Jesus. Nice, man. I, uh, I, I had a conversation with a pastor. Oh, it's, it's probably been two or three years back. And I remember him telling me that he, um, had made a shift in his preaching to spend more time in the Gospels. Um, he just said as he was planning his sermons over the next couple of years and what books of the Bible he wanted to cover, he said he was going to spend more time in the Gospels than he had had at any point in his previous ministry. And he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, I just, he said, I just realized that my people don't love Jesus as much as I want them to. I just want them to know and love Jesus. Yeah. And I, and I, I was just always I was struck by that idea. Just I just want people to know and love Jesus. Um, so I love that. I love that you just said that. You just reminded me of that conversation I had with that pastor. Yeah, no, man. And that's I me. Mean, the way I think about like what is my job as a pastor, and, and as a pastor, my, my job is to show people the glory of Jesus in the Bible, and to help them live like He's real. And in the Gospels, because it's all about Jesus. I mean, the whole Bible is about Jesus, but the Gospels is where. You get to know him, you know. You get to you get to walk with him. You get to hear him. You get to imagine what it might would have been like to be one of his disciples, you know, sitting shoulder to shoulder with him and seeing him do these amazing things and teach these amazing things. And so I, I, I could almost just to piggyback what your friend has said, like man, I, I could almost see, I could almost make a good argument. I think, or I would believe one if I heard it, of how we we should always stay close to the gospel. If we're not, if we're not. Not that we're reading the Gospels every day, maybe that might be an overstatement, but that we're always we always got a bookmark or a finger in the Gospels because I just feel like, man, that's that's where um, we we remember that he's real. He's not an idea. He's not he's not information that we can either accept or reject. He's a person, and and what we do with Jesus is it comes down to this is the way that that really has helped me and how I think about writing and preaching and. It's that you know what we find in the Bible, in the Gospels, and in in the four Gospels in particular, is not we're not given information that we either accept or reject. We're we're, we're introduced to a person, 
And it's this person to whom we either bow or we rebel. Mm. And that changes things, man. When you think about it, like, like what we find in the Gospels is this is Jesus witnessing to himself. Jesus is putting himself forth to us. He is standing forth saying, here I am. Now, what are you going to do with me? And uh, I, I think that just changes things. You know, that changes the way we think, how we read the Bible. And and so I, I um I love the Gospels. And I'm, I'm saying all this now because we're preaching through Mark beginning next year. So I've been digging in Mark and, and I'm loving it. And so I'm excited about that. That, that's awesome. I look forward to it. Yeah, I'm, I've always got. I mean, I haven't been out of the Gospel of John in like three years, yeah, um, yeah. and I can't even get past like chapter eight. I mean, I'm just I go I go one to eight like over and over again. I feel like um, just because like just there there are things about them the man Jesus the God man that just impress me. Yeah, um, sure. That's that's fantastic, man. Uh, when I get a copy of your book, uh, which I have ordered one, so I should have it soon. I will probably just skip the chapter seven first then. Uh, yeah, do it. Skip around, um, man, for sure. Uh, so, qu another question: You said you wrote this for a broader audience. I'm, I'm curious what um, what caused you to want to write it for a broader audience, opposed to maybe the typical person that is picking up a Christian book. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, for you know, being a designing guy for six years, um, I, I you know, there's there's kind of a you're writing to kind of a you know a specific group, you know, the people who read the Desiring God blog website. And I mean, I, that's still my, I mean, it's like, you know, um, you're reformedish, you know, Christian, evangelical. And that's still, I, I mean, that's, that's me. That's my, you know, if you want to use the word try, like that's, that's, these are my people. And I, I love writing to, to this group. And I feel like I write best to these people because we're all on the same page. And, and I, so I enjoy writing to the desiring God type audience the best. And I think I'm, I do a better job writing that way but you know as a church planter um man i i really needed to learn and needed to work on like what about just you know my buddy here that, that just moved in next door you know who was raised here in minnesota with a very nominal kind like i need to get better at, at explaining to this guy these glorious truths that i believe and i've written about for six years i want to be able to to like draw him in and so at one level, like writing this book was was a, an exercise just from our own ministry of um, this is such amazing news that we have. Like I want to get I want to be able to share it with anybody and everybody. And so that means there's some things like you have to you can't assume stuff. So that I'll, I'll in the book in here, I'll mention, you know, when I introduce a book of the Bible, I'm not just like dropping Bible names. I'll say something like, well, there are four Gospels. And in the first gospel called the gospel of Matthew, you know, I'll do a little bit more intro stuff like that. Um, I'll explain a little bit more from the old Testament. So just trying to back up, which is something that I needed to grow in anyway, as a pastor, if, if we want to have people come into our church who are far from God and new to Christianity, uh, I wanted to just kind of get out of that kind of lingo insider talk and, and work on trying to, to speak to, to people from a, from a, a wider range from, from than, who, than who I'm used to. And that, that's really the, the idea of, of what I was hoping to do. And it, it's a book, man. I, I give this book out to, you know, baristas and people I connect with. This is a book that I can I can, uh, I can can give to them as at least a conversation starter. Um, and a book that I hope, hopefully for our church, it can equip the people in our church on how to engage people who are new to Christianity. So I'm thinking, is this the kind of book where the, 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 
the Christian who's been a part of the church for a while could read, maybe not purposely geared toward them, they could learn from it, but more sort of learning how to engage in that conversation. Would it be valuable for that as well? Yeah, I think it's a book that I envision, you know, Christians reading it and at least it being um, refreshing and helpful. Like I want it to be devotional in the sense that this is the old, old story, man. This is the good news. This is the, I mean, this is what we celebrate. This is the center of our, our lives. Yeah. And also wanted to be something they can read. But, I mean, I bet, you know, my buddy Andrew, you know, at work, I've been trying to share with, this is the book I could give him. We could read together, something, something like that. And there are some things in here that, um, you know, you asked about chapters that I was excited about. You know, at the very end, um, I try to make some connections uh, between uh, hope and the Holy Spirit and Christian hedonism um, that I think are fresh and new. And so there's something there that um, I think uh, more mature Christians might be helped by. Just some new thoughts on how the, the Holy Spirit is the minister of hope in our lives and how I want to make a bit, you know, I think um, if you're really, if we're really serious about Christian hedonism and joy, and God, a big deal about the Holy Spirit, um, because this world sucks, man. I mean, there, it, it is a crummy place of full of brokenness and violence and evil, and yet here we are talking about happiness and God, and that only can work if we have a vision for the future that is given to us in Scripture, and that is really ministered to us by the Holy Spirit. And you see this in Romans eight so clearly. And so I, I try to make some connections there that hopefully will seem fresh and new to some more seasoned believers if, if they were to to read them. Yeah, that's that's some really good stuff. So I'd encourage anyone, regardless of where you're at in faith, uh, pick up a copy. This could be helpful to you both in, as you said, Jonathan, devotional for our own souls, as well as almost uh, helpful to us in our evangelism or our desire to connect and engage with people, whether whether it be you know, fodder for conversation or we hand it for some to someone or 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 some combination of both. Right. Um man, what a what a great tool. Um all right, two two more questions for you that I've jotted down that I just thought would love to get by ask you. Uh I, I, I myself published a book a couple years ago and I, I I had a lot of surprises from the book in terms of interactions and responses and feedback. Anything you've been surprised about since this book has been released, people have been reading it. Um, any surprises in terms of feedback or engagement that you've gotten? Yeah, you know that's a great question. I, and I'd say, you know, as a as a really green new author, I, my expectations I didn't really have any um, for the book. I I am um, again super honored and humbled to be able to write it and be able, and to be able to work with Multnomah. I mean, it was man, it was I was so thankful for that. And uh, you know, one of the things that the, that made it difficult was. Um, I think a challenge for the book is that I'm trying to write for a broad audience, but yeah, I'm writing from a very narrow theological perspective. And I don't water anything down. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I quote Jonathan Edwards and I'm, I'm quoting Augustine and I'm, you know, I'm clearly, you know, shaped and influenced by John Piper. And I'm talking about, about wrath and God's anger against sin. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm doing all these things. I'm talking about substitutionary atonement. Like I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm going very clearly, you know, uh, touching on all these things and yet you know i want people to read the book who are gonna you know people who read christian soup for the you know uh, chicken soup for the christian soul like i want them to pick up this book um and so i think with some some of those people do um i think that that kind of can rub them the wrong way that that i'm uh writing from that perspective but um but no i don't 
I mean, I, it's hard to say that I've been surprised by anything because, um, yeah, I don't, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I really appreciate, by the way, the 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 perspective you take, the attitude you've taken to sort of say, "Hey, here is my 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 bent or my tribe or you know whatever word you want to use there," um, and you you refer to it as a narrow theological view. Um, you know, I just well, your your precise theological view that I would share in a lot of ways, but I appreciate saying, "Hey, I'm not going to write just for the for the you know for the Calvinist Baptists or just for the." The Piper fan, I'm going to, and there's nothing wrong with those guys. You know, I love Piper, but I want to, I want to be able to maybe write in a way that is going to be helpful or maybe be willing, someone outside of that tribe is going to be willing to pick up and read and learn from. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, you know, on one level, like I don't want people to feel like it's a a Trojan horse sort of thing. I think the title can, I think the title can make people, you know, the title, you know, narrative over normal. Um, the proven path to significance and happiness can sound like, man, this is a you know, a really uh, lower level practical you know book that's going to improve my li- you know my best life now. And they get into it, and it's like, wait a second. <laughs> um, and that's where you know I want I want people who I don't I don't want people to be, you know, scared away from from really good news because they have, you know, misconceptions of certain titles and names. I think that's how I'd probably put it. Yeah, that's a really, really great point. Um, all right, last question for you. Uh, th- this has been some really good content. I think it's going to be really encouraging. But I'd love to hear, um, as as someone that desires to continually be in pastoral ministry, um, I- I'd love to hear just what what is the, the greatest lesson you think you've learned in pastoral ministry in the, in the, in the few years you've been, you've planted? What would you say, maybe the one or two things that stick out to you in terms of lessons learned? Yeah, man, that's a great question. And it's a question that um, I think is easy to answer because of how how much I, I, f- I feel this this need in my own heart. It, it, the most important thing um, as a pastor, it, it really is believing that Jesus is real. Um, that I am called to, to, to be an under-shepherd of his church. I'm called to love his people. And that, you know, he, he is, he has invited me into this thing that really, man, I got, I got no business being here. I mean, look, I, he, he, this is, this, he, this is all his work. Like, you know, he is, is his gospel, you know, it's his world. And here I am, um, you know, saved by his grace, called uh, and appointed as an elder of the church. And, um, Again, man, I just to know that, just just to remember that that he is the center of it all, and that he is more real than anything else. And so, I, that's that's probably my most been my most constant prayer, most repeated prayer. Um, these you know these four years of pastoral ministry, it's it's uh, it's I just I just I have it you know written inside the front cover of my Bible, and Jesus be more real to me than anything else, and um and. Because you know when things get tough, it's always because something else has become more real than him. That's 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 our greatest challenge. I feel like when things get difficult, it's because we're we're letting these things, these complexities, these, these difficulties, they, they they seem more real to us than him. And so I just praying and asking, and and when it comes to even in times of criticism, in times when you know what, like man, you're gonna you're not gonna hit a home run every time. Like you're gonna goof stuff up. You, you know we're we are human, and we I, you know this past spring before you got to cities 
Kenny, I, I was we we're doing a baptism service um, on Easter, and uh, man, Riley Myers loved his brother, member at our church, baptized him, and I bumped his head in the back of the baptismal. I, I mean, I, I didn't have enough room. It was the most embarrassing just thing, and it was kind of funny. We all laughed, but like I thought about that like three days straight every night when I went to bed. I could not stop thinking about it. Just wow, how just how silly and goofy and and you know. And, and when he gets to, you know, that, that's just a, a thing that happens, you know, you have this, uh, you know, call it this pathological self-criticism of just feeling like, what am I doing? You know, what in the world? And, but what, what changes that for me is remembering that Jesus is real and that what he thinks matters most. Yeah. And so when I get in those kind of the hamster wheel of those just thinking and second guessing and, and uh, you just have to stop and say, Jesus you see everything and you see my heart. You know me better than I know myself. What What do you think about that? Hmm. And, and trying to invite him into the picture. You know, I love in 2 Timothy 4, verse 17, the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, all of his friends, he is alone. And he's not far from his death. And he says, all, the, all my friends are gone, but the Lord is stood by me and he's talking about jesus there and somehow paul is in his jail cell somehow jesus stood by him and um that's my dream it's just that that whatever that was like whatever that experience is of, of the apostle paul being able to say jesus had my back jesus was right here with me like i want that and i need that as a pastor and so when I, and I and that's that's the main thing I keep coming back to is that when I'm in my study, when I'm either sermon prepping or walking into a counseling situation or answering email, is trying to imagine, trying to use my imagination that uh, Jesus is in the room, man. Like he he's a real person, and I'm speaking on his behalf because he he has invited me into this thing. He has called me and given me this amazing honor and privilege. To, to minister his good news to his people. And so, again, just like over and over again, being overcome and overwhelmed by that reality, that is the most important thing in my judgment when it comes to pastoral. Man, that's really, really good thought, man. The reminder that regardless of what we face, what we're going through, or, or what the circumstances look like, Jesus has got my back. Um, and that ultimately I can be satisfied fully in him, that, that I can truly be successful and happy, not in the materialistic, traditional American sense, but in the, in the gospel sense, that I truly can have all my inner desires satisfied in him. And as you said so perfectly a moment ago, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is his opinion. Amen. And no, nothing else matters, man. What a great, great thought to, to close on. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking time out to invest in the audience here for Theology for the rest of us. Uh, I know people are going to appreciate this. Uh, I want to encourage everyone, head on over to Amazon, get a copy of the book. Uh, Jonathan, if anyone listening to this wants to follow you or keep up with what you're doing, what is the best way for them to connect with you or follow you? Yeah, um, thanks. Uh, my website or Twitter. So my website is just my name, Jonathan Parnell. Dot com and basically the site is an aggregate for all the sermons on cities church's website i also have a link to all of my articles on desiringgod.org uh, and uh also some fresh stuff that i'll write every now and again and then on twitter it's just at jonathan parnell 
and I tweet on average, I don't know, once or twice a day. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's, I'm usually, I'm usually easy to get to in one of those two places. Fantastic. And we'll make sure we have all that info linked up both your site and Twitter, uh, as well as a link to where anyone can get a copy of the book linked up in the show notes for this episode. So you can head over to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com, look up the episode uh, interview with Jonathan Parnell, and we'll have all that info there. Jonathan, again, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for investing in the audience. Thank you, Kenny. Good to be here, man. And there you have it, my interview with Jonathan Parnell. Uh, I absolutely love that. At the time of the interview, I had not yet uh, purchased a copy of the book or read it. I have since purchased the copy, uh, received it, and I have read a chunk of it. I have not read it 100% all the way through, but I have read uh, probably 60-plus percent of the book, maybe 70, something like that. And it is fantastic. I did indeed jump straight to chapter seven, as I mentioned in the interview, because Jonathan alluded to that being one of his favorite chapters. So I read that first. And I really believe it's a great book. If you're a new believer, young believer, uh, maybe you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, but you're interested. Or maybe you are someone who has a relationship with um, with a new believer or someone who is wrestling through faith and you're not quite sure how to articulate some things and you want to hand them a book that you think would be helpful to them, that would speak to them where they're at. Uh, this is a great book for that. Just as Jonathan said in the interview, it really is a, a book that's got a, a relatively narrow theological perspective where it's coming from that. But it's written in a way that I think transcends that uh, really well. I think it speaks to a much broader audience. Uh, there's some great, profound biblical truths that are really explained in some simple answers uh, or some simple ways. I would say that it, it is a book written for the rest of us. See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> anyway, sometimes I make jokes and make myself laugh. If none of you laughed, I apologize. Uh, with that said, um, thank you so much again for listening to this episode of the podcast. So glad to have you. Uh, again, thank you to Jonathan. If you're listening to this, big shout out to you. Uh, love being part of church and love, love the content you've given to invest in the audience. I believe this content would be helpful for everyone listening to this. Again, I want to encourage everyone uh, to head on over to Amazon or wherever you get your books and get a copy of this book. Again, it's called Never Settle for Normal by Jonathan Purnell. And if you like, you can head over to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com. Look at the show notes for this episode, episode 246, and you'll see a link there for the uh, for the book, as well as links for Jonathan's website and Jonathan's Twitter and how you can follow Jonathan, uh, check out all the things he is producing and writing these days. Uh, as well, while you're on the website at TheologyForTheRestOfUs.com, don't forget you can check out all of the archives of all the previous episodes. I know some of the podcast players only go back 100 episodes. I know uh, the limit on iTunes that we currently have set is 299. So uh, if you're listening to this uh, you know, several months after this has been posted, chances are some of the older episodes are not in your RSS feed or they're not in your podcast player feed. But do not fret. You can head, out, head on over to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com, and you can see all of the archives of all of the old episodes. And then while you're there, you can check out the resources page where I've got a bunch of other recommended books, blogs, things of that nature, other podcasts that I listen to that I've learned from quite a bit. You can check that out. Hopefully that'll be helpful to you there.
Thanks again for listening to this episode of the podcast. Sure hope it was helpful and insightful. If you happen to have a question or a topic that you want me to address in a future episode of the podcast, shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll definitely tackle every topic that comes my way. The best email address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. Or you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. That's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. I love Twitter and I love connecting with people on Twitter, so make sure you find me there. Hey, to ensure that you never miss an episode of the podcast, make sure you subscribe to the show in your Apple podcast player or whatever your favorite podcast player happens to be. That'll guarantee that every episode gets delivered directly to your device as soon as they go live. And as you all know, because of my inconsistent uh, rate of posting episodes, it's good to be subscribed. Again, when you're subscribed, every episode gets delivered directly to your device. Hey, if you love the podcast, do me a huge favor. Head on over to whatever podcast player you're using, especially if you're an iTunes or Apple user. Leave us a five-star rating and a great review. Tell the world you love the podcast. Those are a big, big help to the show. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.